at Mitchell and Webb Sound, starring David Mitchell and Robert Webb, with James Barkman, Olivia Coleman, and Sarah Handland. Hello, can I help you? I was wondering if you'd welcome the love of the Lord Jesus into your life. <laughs> well, this is really extraordinary timing, because this is something I've been thinking about a lot recently. I feel there's a spiritual dimension lacking in my life, so I'd really be keen to hear more. Oh. Well, <laughs> would you? Absolutely. Tell me more about Jesus' love. Uh, right. I, I think I'm going to have to make a call. Uh, <clears throat> Hi, Sue, it's, it's Ken. Bit odd. I've got one that's really keen. I, I know, but he's really up for it. He, he wants Jesus' love. But there'll be less for us. <laughs> well, stands to reason. No one can completely love more than one person at a time, and he's already doing you and me, which I'm finding a bit modern. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's a no, I'm afraid. <laughs> what? About the Lord Jesus' love, it's a no, he loves me. But I want to hear the good news. I'm not surprised, it's brilliant, I've heard it. I've heard it loads. But I'm afraid the good news is need to know only. That's the bad news. But I thought Jesus' love was boundless. I, I thought it was available to everyone. Hmm, wouldn't be worth much if it was, would it? Uh, I mean, if everyone's special, what's so special about being special, you know what I mean? I suppose. Now, Jesus loves me. And Sue, mainly me. He's gone off Sue, I can tell. So, <laughs> shall I put you down as a no? Well, no, because I really want... I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to put you down as a no. Jesus doesn't love you. But... Just, just leave Jesus alone, OK? He's happy with me. Don't distract him by being needy, trying to take advantage of his good nature just because he's nice-ish. Nice-ish. He could be really difficult. I have a terrible time with Jesus sometimes. Nothing's ever good enough for him. He's so judgmental. But that love, I can't get enough of it. It's love-hate, really. Do you want that in your life? Really? Do you want to bring the love, hate, sleepless nights and stress of Jesus into your life? Look at me, pathetically tramping from door to door in the hope he'll give me a kind word or even just a friendly smile. Jesus Christ! Do you know I've never met him? Oh, dear. Do you want that? The heartache, the doubt, the self-loathing of Jesus in your life? I'm putting you down as a no. It's all right, he's fully trained. He's a horse! I know he's a horse, darling. I'm the one who spent the last year teaching him basic domestic skills. Well, why can't you just teach him to jump over things like a normal horse? Because he's not a normal horse. He's an equine genius. And that's the behaviour of a genius, is it? Doing his business in the fruit bowl? Stop shouting, you're upsetting him. Do you have any regard for my feelings at all? He's opening the bread bin with his nose! Get your filthy horse nose out of my bread bin! That's it, boy, aren't you clever? Malcolm, he's wrecking the kitchen! Never mind the kitchen, woman. We've got a horse that seems to be making its own sandwich. Go on, boy. Not the fridge! I think he wants the mayonnaise. He wants shooting! This is remarkable. He's making his own packed lunch. I can't take this anymore, Malcolm! Oh, for God's sake, woman! Let him concentrate! It's me or the horse, Malcolm! No contest. It's the horse. <laughs> Why are you doing this to me? Bloody hell, it's always about you, isn't it, Sheila? Oh, I'm having a breakdown. Oh, I wish the horse didn't have to share our bed. Oh, I wish you kissed me like you kissed the horse. Oh, I'm sick of it, Sheila. Sick of it! I should have left you a long time ago. Just go then! Go on, get out of here! 
here. Don't worry, we're going. Good. Just as soon as he's got his yogurt. Oh God, no! <laughs> Where's his yogurt? Have you eaten his yogurt? I was hungry. You selfish, selfish woman. <laughs> he can't have a packed lunch without yogurt. I'm sorry. Come uh, on, boy. I'll get you a fruit corner. Uh, Goodbye forever, you yogurt stealing, horse hating harpy. Meanwhile, at the old lady job justification hearings... Hello, dear. Sit down. Have a biscuit. No, thank you. Let's just get this over with. Oh, all right, then. What do you do, dear? I'm a futures trader. And... <laughs> What's that? Simply put, I speculate on the future values of companies. So you invest in them, and if they do well... No, I don't invest in them. I make predictions about how well they'll do in the future, and if I'm right, I make money. Oh, I see. So it's like betting on a horse race? No, it's more complicated than that. How much more complicated? Well, for a start, there aren't any horses. If anything, that sounds simpler, dear. And <laughs> it's not like a race, it's ongoing. They're continually rising and falling. Right. So it's like betting on a carousel. No. Well, sort of. Well, that sounds nice. Oh, yes, everyone likes a carousel. <laughs> But I'm not sure they'd pay the man in charge millions of pounds. Yeah. You, you understand, right? I'm not the man in charge. I don't run the carousel. I just stand nearby watching it and speculating on which horses will go up and which will go down. I mean, look, it's really complicated. Well, that's all right, dear. We don't have to understand all the ins and outs. Just tell us this. How does it help? Help? Yes, dear. We had a fireman in here earlier. His job helps by saving people from fires. How does futures trading help? <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's really important, actually. It helps keep the economy going, and it makes people a lot of money. Some people? It makes some people a lot of money. Doesn't it lose some other people a lot of money, too? Because you're not changing how much money there is, are you? If you weren't gambling with it... Investing it? Yes, dear. If you weren't gambling with it, then there'd still be the same amount. It would just be in a different place. Whereas if you were a plumber... Yes, or if you opened a little shop... <laughs> if I opened a little shop, I'd make a lot less money. I suppose so. It would be nice, though, wouldn't it? A little shop where you could sell people things they need. <laughs> What sort of little shop? Any sort. Just a nice little shop. Maybe in a village. Selling butter and eggs and things. That's right. To people who want to buy them. I'd like that. <laughs> of course you would, dear. Go on. Have a biscuit. Thank you. Introducing the new Accelerator 12 blade. It has 12 blades to give you that just shade feeling that wives love and babies want to rub their faces on. The first blade shaves you close. The second blade shaves you closer still. The third blade sets up your internet banking. The fourth blade shaves you closer still. 
The fifth blade does your VAT receipts and puts them in an office file, not a shoebox. The sixth blade remembers the password for the internet banking set up by the third blade. The seventh blade knows where your wife left her glasses. The eighth blade shaves you closer still. The ninth blade remembers your mum's birthday and makes sure she gets flowers even if it's on a Sunday. The tenth blade does absolutely nothing because sometimes it's good to just, you know, chill. The eleventh blade shears off your face flesh and cuts right into the bone. The twelfth blade shaves you closer still. The 13th blade checks your tire pressures and does the big Costco shop. It also doubles as a chest freezer for overspill. And the 14th blade, well, it just wants to be your friend. The Accelerator 12. 12 blades of 14 blade power. Your witness, Mr. Carter. Thank you, my lord. So, if I understand you correctly, Mr. Shepherd, on the day of your young nephew's death, he was at your instruction on the hillside above your village, watching your sheep, alone and unsupervised. We could hear him if he yelled. Oh, we shall come to that. First, though, I should like to know what he was watching for. You know, rustlers, dogs, wolves. Wolves, Mr. Shepherd. Surely rather uncommon in Dorset. I don't know. There was a wolf, though. There certainly was. A wolf that devoured your nephew. And my sheep. And, as you so rightly remind us, your sheep. So, one assumes that when kitting your 12-year-old nephew out for his wolf-defying mission, you gave him something pretty formidable with which to defend himself. A blunderbuss, perhaps. A rifle? He were too young for a gun. Ah. Old enough to fight a wolf, too young for a gun. <laughs> so, what was the plan, Mr. Shepherd? Well, he were to shout for me and the lads, of course. Of course. And you would spring to his aid and drive away the fearsome beast, with any luck before he killed too many of your sheep-slash-nephew. <laughs> and what code word? Have you arranged that he would call out in this event? Wolf. Ah, <laughs> succinct. Which leads me to this rather key question, Mr. Shepherd. When he saw the wolf, did your nephew shout for your aid as arranged? Ah, well, you see... It's a simple question, Mr. No, Shepherd. No, but... Answer the question, Mr. Shepherd, yes or no. It's not... Did the boy cry wolf? Yes. Yes. The boy, whom you had sent into the hills alone to watch for a wolf with no weapon and no instructions but to cry wolf if he saw a wolf, did cry wolf... And you ignored him. But he'd done it before, that day, two or three times. He got bored and he cried wolf to get us running on up there. Oh, I see. So you very naturally decided that you wouldn't fall for the trick again and would ignore any subsequent shout of wolf he might give. Exactly. Exactly. But did you not feel, Mr. Shepherd, that this decision rather compromised your nephew's utility as a lupine early warning system? Hey. <laughs> what was the point of his being there? Well, that's the moral of the story, isn't it? If you lie too many times, you won't be believed when you tell the truth. No, Mr. Shepherd, with respect, it is not the moral of the story. The moral of the story is that if you have grounds to believe there is a ferocious predator at large, don't appoint as your sole watchman a 12-year-old child whom you have resolved to ignore. I'm in nanny state. It has nothing to do with the nanny state. Can't do nothing these days. Can't leave our children to be torn apart by wolves whilst ignoring their piteous cries for help, certainly. And that's another thing. Did your nephew have an exceptionally loud voice, would you say? I know. Pretty fair loud. Louder, for instance, than a frenzied wolf attack? What are you getting at? What I'm getting at is that whilst apparently perfectly able to hear your nephew's childish, unbroken treble piping the word wolf, you were curiously deaf to the sound of a fully grown timber wolf slaughtering 47 sheep and a boy. <laughs> we thought it all part of his act. 
An accomplished mimic of animal massacres, was he? I know. You don't know. And so perished your unfortunate nephew, your late brother's only son and sole inheritor of his cottage and his flock of ailing, unprofitable, heavily insured sheep. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Shepherd. That will be all. Oh, one last thing. How did your brother die? A jaguar got in his bathroom. <laughs> no further questions. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another edition of Metal or Normal. You all know the rules, let's get going. Julie, keys, metal or normal? Metal. Correct. Simon, potato, metal or normal? Normal. Correct. Julie, Walthamstow, metal or normal? Uh, uh, metal? No, I'm afraid Walthamstow is normal. Simon, magnetic audio cassette tapes, metal or normal? Uh, they, they can be both, can't they? I'm going to have to press you for an answer. Well, I did answer. They can be both. Can they? I thought everything was metal or normal. <laughs> no, some things can be both or are a bit of both. Right. That rather undermines the... Let's press on. <laughs> Round two. Fingers on buzzers. Animals. Dolphins. Metal or normal? Normal. Correct. Ants. Metal or normal? Normal. Correct. Sturgeon. Metal or normal? Normal. Correct. Hang on, there are... Uh, are all animals normal? Yeah, there, there are no metal animals. What? what, none? Yeah, none. What about electric eels? No. no normal. normal. OK, OK. Well, uh, we, we better dispense with the animal round. Round three, cutlery. Oh, dear. <laughs> Um, knives, spoons, yeah. Ooh, salad tongs, still. Yeah. <laughs> Seemed like a great format, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. Coming up next on the Metal or Normal channel, a classic episode of Normal Mickey, followed by our late-night film, Double Bill, full Normal jacket and a life less metal. <laughs> Got the dinner? What is it this time? What, the fat ones with the stupid faces? Salmon? Salmon, that's it. Yeah. Tough catch? No, piece of cake. I was paddling about in the shallows, the cameraman tossed it into the river, I went for it, shook it around in my teeth for effect, you know. Mm. Grrr. Who wants some? Yeah, not really. To be honest with you, Dan, I've been thinking... I'm not sure how much more of this I can take. What, the fish? Not the fish, the whole thing. It's dishonest. That film crew think they're tempting real bears out of the forest. I know that. I've been standing in a river all day dressed in a 400-pound bear costume. <laughs> I think we should call it a day. Go back to Welling Garden City. Hey, Whose idea was this in the first place? Did you see that documentary on brown bears? Looks like a right dos. I know what I said. I was quite prepared to let it be one of those chats down the pub I'm sure everyone has had about running away from the office and becoming a bear. I know, and yes, the fish is free and Canada's lovely. We but... had no future in double glazing. We've got no future in pretending to be bears. Dan, look at me. Take your head off. That's better. Now, look me in the eyes. We have to stop this. No way. It's hibernation season soon. Think about it. Hiber bloody nation, mate. I'm lucky if I can get to lie in past eight back home. I've got to pack it in. I've been thinking about Emma. Here we go. I told her I was going to a UPVC conference in Bracknell. I can't hibernate. She'll go frantic. Drop her a postcard. Say it went on a bit. Until spring? 
That's not a realistic conference schedule. She's a woman. She'll just think you're having an affair or something. Oh, yeah, and when I say to her, no, Ems, honestly, I wasn't seeing someone else. Me and Dan have spent the last five months in Canada dressed as bears. She'll probably pull my clackers out through my eye sockets. She'll be able to see us on telly. It'll all make sense then. Oh, yeah, of course. That'll help. Look, Ems, see those two bears? That's me and Dan. Can I move back in now? Then... Take her the salmon. You don't understand women. I can't just throw this over my shoulder and march back the big hunter and expect her to swoon into my arms. If she was a bear, she'd take it. She's not a bear. You're not a bear. I'm not a bear. Hang on. That isn't salmon. Oh, isn't it? It's got a wristwatch. Has it? Maybe it swam through a watch. Not the cameraman. Oh, no, Dan, you didn't. I was in character. Oh, God. What are we going to do now? Yeah. We can't possibly go back now, can we? Tell you what, I'll go and get the legs. We'll have a nice big supper and we'll hibernate on it. Things always look better in the spring. <laughs> and now on CBeebies, hooray! It's time for Christopher Hitchens' hour. <laughs> Well, children, I think you'll probably recognise by now who it is I'm drawing. Yes, it's our old friend, George Galloway. I know, children, I know. And what's this he's standing in? Seems to be some kind of puddle, but it's no ordinary old puddle. No, in fact, he's got himself stuck in a disgusting moral quagmire. Here's a little tip. If you want to show that George is straining to get free of his moral quagmire, then you need to draw little arrows and action marks to indicate movement. But no, in this case, we don't need to do that because George seems to be entirely content to be stuck in his moral quagmire and doesn't seem to want our help to escape at all, which is a shame, but some people are like that. And what are we forced to do with people like that? That's right. We call in airstrikes from the brave men and women of the 101st Airborne Division. <laughs> and up he goes. <laughs> right, pipe down, please. Warren, this is neither the time nor the place for a pepper army. As you can see, we have a visitor, and I think most of you will recognise him. This is Dorgon. <laughs> Now, it is not Dorgon's fault that he lives quite so close to the Stargate as he does. <laughs> well, quite, yeah. Dorgon has just told me that when he bought his Domosphere, planning permission for the Stargate hadn't even been applied for. So, in a sense, he's as stuck with us as we are with him, at least until the market picks up. But his proximity to the mouth of the Stargate is no reason for you lot to embark on what I can only describe as bullying. Oh, Look, the number of times I've come in on a Monday morning to find Dorgon trapped in a vending machine beggars belief. It really beggars belief. Now, I'm not going to name names, which leads me to another point. Our visitor's name, as I said, is Dorgon. Now, I know it may amuse you to call him Gordon, <laughs> but he hates it. He really hates it. <laughs> yeah, he just said he hates it. And I'm shocked by all these poison pen letters as well. Using the interdimensional gateway to send hate mail is one thing, but doing it on company-headed notepaper... <laughs> well, words fail. Look at this one. Gordon is a stupid alien. Looks like that's the opinion of Brown's orthopaedic supplies, which it isn't. What's even worse, I can't believe I'm having to say this after the training day, you've misspelled alien. It looks disrespectful. Oh, stop making such a fuss, Claude. It's just a bit of fun. 
The alien doesn't mind, do you? (laughs) Shut up, Gordon. What are you watching? I'm sorry. <laughs> she looks like you. What? She looks like you, her. What is me? Hmm? It is me. No, 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 no. The woman driving the speedboat. Yes, Nick. That's me. Is it? How come? <laughs> Nick, that's what I do. I'm an actress. Oh, yeah, yeah. I do remember you saying about a job. Uh, no. Remember? Remember, a couple of years ago, I was away filming this in Tunisia for two months. Yeah, yeah, conference or something. Yeah. Well... <laughs> No, no, it wasn't. It was filming this. I'm an actress in films. Oh, right, yeah, got it. Do we have to watch this? Where's the remote? Are you sitting on it? Um, actually, I haven't seen this since the premiere, so I wouldn't mind... You do remember the premiere of this, don't you? Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, that's right. We saw it in that cinema. It was much too busy when we went. Do you remember? <laughs> really heaving. We should have gone on a Tuesday. The tickets are cheaper. Yeah, I was paid $12 million for this. Oh, that reminds me. Lawrence said that there's a good chance that everyone in human resources is going to get a raise this financial year. So that's... Uh, that's... Uh... <laughs> Look at the way she's steering that thing. Typical bloody woman. Oh, come on, Nick. <laughs> for this. Oscar? Come on, Nick, you must remember, you came to the Oscars with me, you know, the big party in Hollywood. You were talking to Steven Spielberg for quite a long time. We're on that table with Judy Dench. Yeah, uh, yes, yes, yeah, 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 the dinner dance, yeah. It was <laughs> all your workmates, yeah. Didn't serve a proper pudding. <laughs> None of this is ringing a bell with you. Shh, there's a really good bit coming up where you nearly see her boobs. <laughs> A fabulous group of hounds leaving the arena there, Edwin. And as we move on, I know this is one of your favourite breeds coming up now, isn't it? Here's the invisible Chinese otter hound. (laughs) They're renowned for their affectionate nature, their loyalty, and the fact that they're entirely invisible to the human eye. And here they come, I'm guessing. Can you tell us a bit about the history of this breed? Yes, they were introduced into this country from the Far East in the late 80s, where they have been used to keep the tension in those novelty joke dog leads. And I understand many people were buying the leads, not realising that a real dog was paying the price for their so-called hilarious novelty gag. Yes, a, a, a tragic irony. And then after a couple of weeks without food or water, people would wonder why the lead suddenly went slack. And there was a funny smell. What we have before us now are the dogs as they were intended to be seen. And they are looking magnificent, we assume. (laughs) And leading them out is Derek Hathaway with his one-year-old bitch, Rowena Sparkle Plum Pudding, where the hell are you? (laughs) As you can imagine, this is a very challenging breed to judge. But Anne Merriweather, our head judge, is very experienced. Can you get your dog to stand? He is standing. (laughs) Right. Now, Edwin, I understand there have been attempts to crossbreed the invisible Chinese otterhound. Yes, before we fully understood the genetics, hill farmers tried to cross them with border collies to create a dog that could sneak up on sheep. (laughs) And was that a success? It was not. And they had real trouble finding homes for that litter. Nobody wanted a semi-transparent border collie. (laughs) 
and then, of course, in the early 90s, the Pitbull Breeders Association tried to incorporate their placid nature into the bloodline. Yes, they were hoping for a calmer Pitbull. Unfortunately, they ended up with a dog that can only be described as an invisible bastard. <laughs> oh, and um, it looks like she's made her decision. Yes, she's gone for the little bitch. Well done, Rowena. And look at that. Derek is overcome with excitement. And judging from the small damp patch appearing on the arena floor, so is Rowena. <laughs> so we're meeting on the 30th. Oh, actually, I better check that. Is the 30th a Tuesday? Yes, it is. No, sorry, I've got classes that evening, so I won't be able to... Uh, oh, what classes? Just training. Training in what? Zorro. What's Zorro? Zorro. You must know Zorro. Zorro. The mark of Zorro. Big hat. Sword. Just say no? No, that's Zamo. <laughs> Oh, Zorro. Yeah, I can do Wednesdays, though. No, no, hang on. Are you training to be Zorro? Yeah, it's good. Who's training you? Zorro. <laughs> what? The old Zorro. Ah, I see. Yes, to maintain the longevity of the legend of Zorro, every Tuesday I go around to his sort of cell behind a waterfall, and Zorro trains me up to be... Zorro. ..the new Zorro. And is he good? Who's Zorro? Yeah, Zorro's brilliant. I mean, he's Zorro. <laughs> wow, and what kind of things do you get trained in? Oh, fencing, Spanish, uh... <laughs> Cultivating an effete aristocratic public persona. Um, explosives. Explosives? Bombs? Yep. Wait, you're being trained in a cell to make bombs? That sounds brilliant. Oh, actually... What? Actually, 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 I shouldn't have told you that. What? Well, any of it. I mean, I've just compromised my secret identity. What secret identity? You're not Zorro yet. No, but... I think it's probably fair to say the field's still open. You're not necessarily going to be the next Zorro. What do you mean? I could go to these classes. No, no, they're one-on-ones. OK, I'll book my own. Hang on. We can't both be the next Zorro. There can be more than one Zorro? Of course there can. That was Zorro's whole point. His motto was, it's not just Zorro. No, that's Zamo. So you're telling me there can only be one Zorro and that it can only be you with a straight face? I've had the training. Training, shmaining. When I turn up to Zorro's class this Tuesday... Hang on, you're actually going to do this? He's going to take one look at you and you're one look at me. You're me? Yeah, I'm gazumping you're you. You're gazumping me out of Zorro. You're not Zorro material. You will never be Zorro. What on earth are you basing this on? MP's expenses. What? <laughs> MP's expenses, remember? I remember not being able to see what all the fuss was about. Exactly. Zorro would have seen what all the fuss was about. <laughs> Zorro wouldn't have taken the politician's side. Oh, so suddenly you're an expert on Zorro. I'm just not good with names. You know Zorro. Better than you. You have his number. You have Zorro's number. Do you have Zorro's number? In my phone, yes. Then let's phone him. Let's phone Zorro and ask him exactly where he stands. No. Where Zorro stands on the question of MP's expenses. <laughs> Do you know what I think he's not going to say? Look, I'm not phoning Zorro. I have to scroll all the way down the names. It isn't a very good phone for that. <laughs> So what about Wednesday? I am Zorro. Are you free Wednesday? Oh, no, hang on, I've got another class. Balls. Another Zorro class? No, Lulu. What? <laughs> Lulu classes. Exactly the same principle. In order to maintain the longevity of the legend of Lulu, every week I go around to old Lulu's... What, Lulu? L Lulu? Yes. Lulu from Star Trek, Lulu? No, that's Sulu. <laughs> So you're being trained to be the new Lulu, yes. Are you going to have a problem with that too? Why are you Lulu? Instead of you, you mean? Yes! When did you want to be Lulu? If you're Lulu, I'm Zorro. Look, what are you doing this Thursday? Give me your phone, I'm calling him. What? I'm scrolling down, this is a travesty. Get off me. Give me the phone! No! Give me the phone! No! You can't be Lulu and Zorro! Cool your temper, sir. 
What? And relinquish your grip upon my friend's property before this sword against your throat sends you somewhere hotter still. Zorro! Lulu? <laughs> <laughs> That Mitchell and Webb sound starred David Mitchell and Robert Webb with Olivia Coleman, Sarah Hadland and James Bachman. It was written by David Mitchell, Robert Webb, Jason Hazley and Joel Morris, Jonathan Dryden-Taylor, Chris Reddy, Simon Kane, Carrie Quinlan, Richard Law, Sanjeev Kohli, Toby Davis, Chris Pell and John Finnemore. The producer was Gareth Edwards. Yeah.